You may have heard of us, but you might not know Bank First is a community bank that has no fee ATM access, interest, and perks earning checking accounts. With online and mobile banking, mortgages for every stage of life, and modern business banking for businesses, small and big. We keep it all together to put you first. Do you bank with us? You should. Bank First is an equal housing lender and a member FDIC. And welcome to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. We're in the Farm Bureau studios here in downtown Starkville. Mississippi State going to play baseball later tonight against Southern. Was supposed to play last night, and of course, with the weather, had a ton of rain come through, so we'll play at 5 o'clock later today. And of course, we'd like to thank our fine friends over at WFCA 107.9 for airing the show each and every week. And so, Charlie Winfield, we haven't uh, had baseball since we got together on Monday for our Monday whatever show. We got to come up with a we have to come up with a name or we don't have to come up with a name. We can keep on playing that game. But Charlie, I still feel pretty good about the way we played on Sunday. It's it's had a carryover for me for about 72 hours now. Okay, so you're going to be the guy who reacts to one game instead of an entire body of work. That's like Sims. That's like if your son came home and, and made a 70 on his math test and said, but, Dad, I aced that word problem at the end. You know, that that doesn't – is that going to do it for you? You care about the last question on the test or you care about the test as a whole? So what I would say is I don't feel bad. I think we're in a spot where it's time. we got to start playing good, and we got to keep playing good. And we have to sustain a little bit of a run here because, look, we've got a tough – tough battle the next few weeks if you don't take advantage this weekend two has to be your worst case two out of three has to be your worst case and if you don't then uh, buckle up because these shows may become a lot more interview intensive (laughs) all right let me ask you this question and i hate to bring up this point because coach polk used to use it as an excuse all the time but knowing you have to win this weekend no 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 don't, don't no don't even bring it up is there more pressure playing at home i don't care you know what in baseball reggie you know where jackson, i was going you know where i was going with that yeah cuz i've heard it my whole life and hey i think what reggie jackson used to say about the pinstripes you know playing in new york said pinstripes are heavy you know what sometimes that m over s can be heavy but that's kind of the price of wearing it you got to carry that extra weight and so it's part of the job it's part of the deal these guys have done it look if Luke Hancock, if Logan Tanner, if those guys are saying, Cameron James, man, I'm just feeling the pressure, after playing in the World Series Finals, that's just an excuse because those guys are adapted to it. Now, if you're an Aaron Downs or a Slade Alford, yeah, I get that, and that's to be expected somewhat. But would you rather be the guy playing in front of that crowd in the maroon and white, the M over S, or would you rather be – a member of the Alabama Crimson Tide coming in and dealing with it. So I suppose you could have that debate, but I'm not, no, I'm not cutting any slack whatsoever to that. A guy that's kind of played a little bit looser and who seems to be accepting how heavy that M over S is, is RJ Yeager. He's gotten better over the last couple of weeks. And we talk about acclimation period, about coming into this program. 
and we saw it last year with Scotty DeBrule. You kind of hope that R.J. Yeager will keep that same trajectory that we saw with Scotty DeBrule last year. It was around this time last year. Actually, it was a little bit later for Scotty when he began to come on a little bit. You hope that R.J. is kind of catching fire right now to lock down that second base position. Uh, we got a game today. I've talked to no coaches about this. Is there any chance we see R.J. Yeager? He looks like the guy in the middle who's claimed his spot right now. Now, that could change. Do you see him at shortstop today? Yeah, we had this debate on Monday. I'm fine with it. I'm perfectly fine with it. Hey, you know what we're going to do today? We're going to do something. We're going to talk to a guy, and this is what we normally do on our midweek show is we have interviews. And on the show today, we're going to talk to Alabama radio play-by-play guy, Chris Stewart, who's a good friend of ours. Chris, great dude, and he'll be over this weekend with Alabama baseball. But later in the show, we're going to talk to the guy or a guy who was kind of larger than life. We talk about growing up in the state of Mississippi without professional sports and about how sometimes these guys become larger than life. And, you know, back early in my childhood, a guy that was really larger than life, he was a big dude and hit some monstrous home runs, and that was Bruce Castoria. And so we're going to talk to Bruce Castoria. Charlie, just a guy who had – it was kind of before his time a little bit. We start talking about launch angle in today's world, about getting the ball in the air, and – how, you know, 20, 30, even now, I guess 40 years ago since Bruce Castoria played here, it was kind of faux pas to be kind of that guy. It was more contact, spraying the ball around the field. And that's one of the things I want to ask him about is kind of being a little bit before his time at Mississippi State, hitting a lot of fly balls. But, man, I'm looking forward to that. Oh, I am too. You know, Bruce Castoria in that, was it 1981, he hits 29 home runs. Drives in 98 runs, hits 341, but he struck out a lot. Struck out 52 times in 63 games, and that was kind of the first guy I remember of. Well, we're going to put up with the strikeouts because he's going to hit a bunch out. Now, look, he still hit 341, and so that'll be interesting to talk to him because in my mind, he was a launch angle guy before there were launch angle guys. I want to ask him about that. And you mentioned high strikeouts, high home runs. That's exactly what we're seeing in today's game. And, of course, we're brought to you by Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. Check them out at favorites.com. Agents in all counties throughout the state of Mississippi, the customer service is fantastic. Home, auto, life, whatever you're in the need for in the insurance world, Farm Bureau, go with the home team. And also, we'll be back on Thursday for our Tracks Plus Deep Dig, Tracks Plus with four locations Three in Mississippi, one in Louisiana. Of course, Hickory, Starkville, Columbus, between Starkville and Columbus, Summit, Mississippi, and then Alexandria at Louisiana. Daniel Bounds and Fred Fulton in Starkville, Columbus. You've got Ken Crosby in Hickory. Grace Howell in Summit and Hoop Williams down in Alexandria at Louisiana. Go by and talk to those guys about great Saney excavators, Saney mini excavators, Barco forestry equipment, and Massey Ferguson in all the locations, well, in the locations of Hickory, Summit, and Alexandria, Louisiana. Massey Ferguson tractors and implements. And so great customer service as well with our great friends at Trax Plus. So Charlie and I will come back. We'll talk to Chris Stewart, the voice of Alabama baseball, right after this. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. We're in the Farm Bureau studios here in downtown Startville. 
Time now for our guest line segment, and we'll talk to our good friend Chris Stewart, the play-by-play voice of Alabama baseball. In this conversation brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing, made right here in the state of Mississippi. It's fantastic stuff. They make it right on Highway 49 in Florence, Mississippi. A lot of great varieties, a lot of great flavors. You just can't go wrong with anything Country Pleasing. And also, go by the butcher shop on Highway 49 if you're getting ready for the tailgate. Baseball at home this weekend. And so if you have a buddy of yours, if you have a left field lounge spot and you have a buddy that lives in South Mississippi or in the Jackson area, send them by the Country Meat Packers store and make sure you load up and get plenty of great things to put on the grill this weekend out in the outfield at Country Pleasing Sausage. And once again, this conversation with Alabama play-by-play voice of Alabama baseball, Chris Stewart, brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing. So let's talk to our good friend, Chris Stewart. Chris, hey, listen, I I say good friend, Chris Stewart, and you are a good friend of ours. Jason Crowder, earlier this year, when he had you on the uh, pregame show one time, he referred to you in in a tweet of, Hey, I'm going to talk with my good friend, Chris Stewart. And I said, hey, does Chris know that you referred to him as a good friend? (laughs) I do indeed, and I'm good with it. Uh, (laughs) I just – I hope it doesn't doesn't hurt his reputation by calling me one. (laughs) Okay. Uh, State and Bama baseball this weekend, second weekend of SEC play. I know you've been locked down with Alabama basketball for the past few weeks, and so now coming in Friday night, State and Alabama. Alabama able to salvage a game against Florida on Sunday, walk-off fashion. We were able to do the same on the road at Georgia, so both teams coming in at one and two. So just first and foremost, what's the general thought from your standpoint as voice of Alabama baseball? What's your thoughts of Alabama after 21 games? Bart, you know, felt coming in that this was maybe as talented a team as not just that Brad's had, but maybe we've had in the last 10 or 15 years. Uh, really, really like the roster that he's built from a starting with a pitching standpoint, but depth standpoint, um, the opportunity to put some runs up, but also defend at a pretty good level. And those are all factors that you got to have in this league just to compete. That's the part. It doesn't put you ahead. It just gives you a, a fighting chance at competing. And they feel like they've got that now. And I think they showed that. I mean, look, you got it. Here's the problem you got to do it for 10 weeks, 10 weeks of the grind that is the SEC. But they showed, I think, in the first weekend against a Florida team that's as talented as anybody that they can. They got behind the eight ball a, a little bit a couple of times and had to fight back. They did that in the the, the first or second game. And again, I wasn't there for any of them, so I can't speak to specifics. But I would say it was game one or game two. They were down, rallied, had the chance with winning runs at the plate, uh, tying runs in scoring position, couldn't get them in, had a tight game late in the other, and then rallied to win in the ninth of the third game. And I, and I look, here's the thing. You want to win, no question. But it's gotten to where it's, just putting yourself in a position for a chance to win late is almost what every team is looking at. And the one that's going to wind up getting the whole of that trophy when it's over with is the one that's going to outlast the most in the eighth or ninth innings. And I know that's not, you know, any kind of revolutionary statement, but I think for Alabama, getting your yourself in position where you got a chance to win late games is, 
is what you've got to push to, and they feel a whole lot better, especially with the arms that they have now, that they'll be, uh, have a chance at doing that. So much in college baseball, for that matter, college sports in general, now you're looking at guys who transfer. It's not very often you say, hey, let's go to the Harvard baseball team to find a guy to hit in the middle of our order and lead our team in hitting. Man, it looks like you kind of had some good luck in the in the portal this year too. Well, I mean, how many times have we all heard the expression that Tuscaloosa is the Harvard of the South? I mean, come on, we know that. So it's, uh, it's pretty much uh, – Obviously, you, it's hard to tell on radio how far my tongue is in my cheek when I say that. But, but for Tommy Seidel, he's a guy that that has really adapted well to Alabama, and, and this roster desperately needed a guy who can do all the things he can't. He's a veteran; he gives you some leadership. But what he's done on the field is, is huge. You know, he's not just hitting three seventy eight; he's hitting three seventy eight and giving you a starting guy in the outfield, which you so badly needed when you lose a guy like William Hammeter to injury that he's a guy that was hitting Hammeter was hitting cleanup and playing right field for you as a tremendous defensive guy in addition to what he was doing on offense. So you you don't just plug and play, but at least Tommy's giving you a veteran guy who's producing and giving you an outfielder that you can rely on. It's a it's a it's a real luxury that again speaks to what Brad's been able to do with that roster to uh to not completely come unglued when you lose somebody that means as much as hamburger means this roster talking to chris stewart the voice of the alabama crimson tie baseball and chris i look at up the middle in the infield for this alabama team Mm -hmm. you think about jarvis leading off and luke jarvis played at auburn and this is jim his brother and the jarvis family even though they're from california have been really big uh, in alabama and auburn so in the middle of the infield, it just looks like that may be one of the strengths of this team. Yeah, I agree. And it's another example of what I was talking about with with Seidel replacing Hammeter. There was there was a stretch there for about three, four weeks where you had to replace Bryce Evelyn, who to me looks as good physically as anybody we've had in a long, long time. Now, Jarvis is, produces at a high level, but Evelyn's a guy that just looks the part. I mean, we see him, you, you see what I'm talking about physically. But you've been able to, to have Jarvis at short, and even with Evelyn out until just recently with that injury, uh, they were able to, to kind of piece it together. You brought Caden Rose in from playing center field for sharing those those duties with Andrew Pinkney, put him at second until you got Evelyn back, and now you put Rose back in, in his more comfortable uh, role, at least as of late in the outfield and and you're just you're stronger Bama's stronger when those two guys are there and there's no doubt they make a combo that from a defensive standpoint they feel great about but Jarvis has really improved himself offensively and Evelyn's a guy that they still feel like is going to hit at a really good level before all said and done. Chris where do you see the rotation right now for Alabama you talked about that as kind of being a bright spot you know, you got McMillan going on Friday, typically. How do you see the rotation piecing together? And are there any question marks there, or does it seem to be kind of set in stone? I think it's as locked as maybe something gets right now when you, you know, you haven't exactly shut down the other teams. Uh, but the other team is Florida. You know, that's the, that's the one that you are really comparing that against so far, at least in league play. 
there are options. They're good options that they really like on the Hill. But I think it does start with McMillan and the fact that, that he's a guy you feel is going to go out and compete and battle as a right-hander, a, a guy who got some more experience that can come in and throw and just battle and compete besides having good stuff. And it's not off the charts stuff that he has, but he is somebody that is going to throw strikes. He's going to give you uh, an opportunity. I think you look and it's what 29, 30 strikeouts and only a handful of walks so far at this point, if you're not giving away bases on Friday night, you're going to have a better chance. I mean, that's, that's a simple statement. I know, but if you're having to, to catch up on Friday night and you're just struggling to put the football across the plate, then you, you really make it tough on your team. And McMillan gives you a chance to uh, have a veteran who's going to give you some innings, who's going to give you a chance to win every Friday night. And then we've seen Antoine John out there who's, who's had five starts, Grayson hit. They really like on Sunday as well. But there's some other young arms. They think they're roll out and, and have a chance to pitch well for you. And because just like you guys do, we play a lot of the same teams in the midweek. You're you're coming over and playing some Alabama schools. We're gonna, we've already played Southern Miss. You're gonna face good competition in your midweek and just like y'all deal with, everybody you face in state, especially, wants to beat you in those midweek games. So you better bring it, even though you're throwing somebody who's a little younger out there. You, you better have guys that are ready to go for you. And they feel like they've got enough depth now to not just battle through the course of a weekend, but get through what you need on Monday, or excuse me, on Tuesday and Wednesday nights so that you can swing the bat just a little bit and have a fighting chance at getting your wins there. Chris, looking around the league, so many teams have had this situation where the, the rotation has been set, but then we're trying to get it to – point X, whether it be the seventh inning, you know, the eighth inning, who on the backside for Alabama is that guy that they want to get the ball in the hands of with a one-run lead in the seventh inning? Yeah, I, uh, th- that's a good question. And, again, you gotta you got to understand I've only seen a handful of games at this point, but I know Dylan Ray is a guy on the backside, Hunter Hoops uh, as well. They both have a couple of saves. Brock Guffey is a veteran who's been around. He's got a save. And and pitches really well in a in a short relief situation or or three innings for that matter. I mean Brock will stretch it out. He's two and zero with a save in six appearances already. Those are three that really stand out that I think they feel very very good about on the if they can get it to the back end of the game where it's tied or they're ahead. Chris, you're five for Brad Bohannon. I've always said with college baseball coaches. It takes a little while before the team is really theirs because you're recruiting so far out. How do things seem to be going in terms of Brad Bohannon kind of putting his stamp on that program and getting the type of players he wants now? Uh, Charlie, I think it's it's in a great spot, and he is as comfortable as he's been because he does have a roster finally that's built the way he wants it to look. I mean, all coaches are the same. They'd rather have one or two guys more. But in terms of being ready, once we got to league play with a roster, he felt good about, we're there now. You want to build off of this, but at least he feels like he's got more than a fighting chance with, with what he's been able to build. He inherited a mess. It was a rough situation. Uh, he had to 
to restore some goodwill in addition to, to building the roster up. And as you guys know, you can't do that overnight. Uh, but he has done that. He's done it the right way, and it's a solid base. And those of us that are close to it are really excited about where things are, are headed under his leadership. Hey, Chris, we appreciate you. Look forward to seeing you this weekend. Guys, I look forward to it as well. Y'all take it easy on us, and, and I know the grills will be fired up. So I know I'll be fed well, regardless of uh, how my team gets treated between the lines. So I look forward to seeing all over this weekend. And that's Chris Stewart, voice of Alabama baseball. He'll be over here this weekend. Charlie, Chris Stewart, one of the good guys, man. Just a just a good dude. Hey, this will be an Alabama team that will be better than what we've seen in years past. They're more athletic. Do you think anybody in the crowd will remember what Brad Bohannon thought of the city of Starville? Oh, yes. Absolutely. I'm just wondering because, I mean, apparently the only reason you come here is for a baseball game. So whatever reason might bring you here, if you happen to make it the baseball game. And just to revisit that, Brad Bohannon was talking about some NIL deals back in the fall and made reference to, you know, Startville, Mississippi, and why would you go to Startville, Mississippi, and, and all of that good stuff. And I'm sure he meant it tongue-in-cheek. I'm sure he meant it tongue-in-cheek. But to be quite, quite honest with you, his tenure in Tuscaloosa has been very underwhelming to this point. And so we'll talk about Alabama baseball more on our Thursday deep dig. But that's a conversation with Chris Stewart with the Alabama Radio Network. And we'll come back. We'll talk to Bruce Castoria, former Bulldog from 1979 to 1982. On the other side of the break, this is Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Now, welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. We're live in the Farm Bureau studios here in downtown Startville. And time now to talk with a former Bulldog great, and that is Bruce Castoria. Bruce Castoria played at Mississippi State from 1979 to 1982. Had just a tremendous career here in Startville. And this conversation brought to you by our friends at Heartland Catfish, Heartland, producing the finest U.S. farm-raised catfish you can possibly find. And it's produced right here in the Mississippi Delta in Itabina, Mississippi. And the the great thing about Heartland, you can buy it at local grocery stores or they service great restaurants throughout the southeast. And one of the restaurant groups that they serve is the Shrimp Basket. Now, if you ever go to the Gulf Coast, if you ever go down to Mobile, to Orange Beach, and the Florida Panhandle, they're all over the place, the Shrimp Basket. And, of course, down in Auburn, all across the state of Alabama. But when you go to the shrimp basket, you think, of course, we're going to get some shrimp. But they actually have some great catfish on the menu as well. And so go by all the locations throughout Alabama, South Tennessee, then down on the Mississippi Gulf Coast at the shrimp basket and get that great heartland catfish. So let's talk to former Bulldog Bruce Castoria joins us. He played at Mississippi State 1979 to 1982. Of course, had that great season in 1981 where he hit 29 home runs. Bruce, appreciate you joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, Floral Park, New York native. And so we ask yep. this to just about everybody we talk to. 
How in the world did you end up from Floral Park, New York, to on the eastern side of Manhattan, I guess the eastern side of, of Brooklyn? How did you end up all the way to Starkville, Mississippi? The way I ended up in Starkville is uh, a guy who was Coach Polk's uh, northern distributor for his playbook back in the day, a guy by the name of Ray Korn, was a high school coach in Elizabeth, New Jersey. And um, I was all everything there up in New York. And, and obviously, I wanted to play baseball for a career and, and all that sort of stuff. So it was, it was paramount that I get out of New York and get to the South. Um, I, I wrote to places, but it was in those days, it was just so hard for a New York kid to, to get an opportunity to, to go to an Arizona or to a, you know, anywhere in the Florida, anywhere in the South. And so I was looking real hard and, and Ray happened to know coach Polk. And, uh, now I was two time, uh, Long Island player of the year. I mean, I batted 580 both my junior and senior year. So, I mean, I have stats from high school that are just stupid. But, you know, at the time still, it was looked at you were playing against a lesser competition, which wasn't exactly accurate since I played against guys like Neil Heaton and John Franco and Frank Viola, <laughs> guys who had, you know, major league careers. Uh, it just, it was looked down upon. So anyway, that's how Ray gave Coach Polk my name. And Coach Polk came up and visited. Uh, he showed me all about SEC football, which I had, that was his first picture in the in the in the in the in his little book there at the time and i'm like coach i, I don't care about what the football is I, I i don't know about sec football i'm a jet fan i mean i'm a professional sports guy you know we did, really didn't follow college sports so uh so that's really kind of what got me going you know it was a little bit of hemming and hawing about you know leaving but i was never i never loved new york to to, to the degree other than the the pizza uh but other than that, it was you know, a little culture shock when I got to the South, but it was where I needed to go to, to further my career. When we start talking about all-time great Mississippi State baseball teams, one of the first teams that comes to mind is 1979. So you, you show up as a freshman, you're making that adjustment, and played well your freshman year, but how did how did that adjustment go? Did you find it to be – a little bit of culture shock moving to the South, fitting into some, you know, kind of some veteran guys on that team or how, how did that adjustment go? Well, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get political about this because I'll just give you the straight answer. The the, the straight answer is uh, there, w- there was some adjustments uh, that coach Johnson and coach Polk worked on some adjustments in my swing. My swing is probably a little long uh, going there because, you know, the statement I made about competition Day in and day out, probably the competition in New York was, was a little weaker than than if if you did in the and looked in the South or in the in the in the West Coast. Um, but like I said, there were some really really good talented people there. So I got away with a lot. I mean, my whole senior year in high school, I never even struck out. And and you guys know that you know when I got to college, that wasn't exactly something that I continued with. Um, so, it, you know, so it, it was nothing. I had 40 intentional walks. I, you know, like I said, didn't strike out at all. Um, you know, I pretty much dominated everything I did. And so then getting here and getting the, against the better competition day in, day out, took some adjustments, had to shorten up the swing. And then I got into a platoon situation with uh, Pete Torres. 
And mentally, it, it kind of bothered me. Pete had hyperextended his elbow, and it was out for a period of time. And and I, and I hit really well during that that time period. And um, and and when Pete got better, we went back to platooning. And so I kind of kind of bugged me a little bit, and and that sort of thing. I mean, you know, Pete's a great guy and all that. You know, just you know, I have an ego, and 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 I think I'm better than everyone else. And I'm sorry, you know, that's just the way it is. Uh, you know, I told Johnny Mac when I when I got there, John McDonald, uh, I said. You know, he's he's telling me about Del Bender, and I, and Del Bender hit 17 or 18 home runs, whatever it was. And I said, "Oh, I'll make I'll let, let everyone forget about him," you know, because I, I was always confident in myself. So, uh, so so that kind of hurt a lot uh, to to be kind of where I thought I was doing really well and should have earned some opportunity. Uh, uh, and Coach Polk and well, all coaches, you know, they're they're kind of tougher on on jumping into a freshman uh situation you know um they're a little hesitant to do that and uh that's kind of what happened and, and so towards the end of that season uh for a few things because he learned that he he eventually learned that the way to get Bruce to do stuff is tell him he can't do it so if you sit there and tell me I can't do that I'll prove you wrong every time so Bruce I want to fast forward to 1981 because of my age a lot more of my time was spent lying on the bed listening to Jim Ellis describe you playing as opposed to watching you playing. But you were the first guy that just that I was kind of fixated on as a baseball player because of your ability to hit home runs. You you had that season in nineteen eighty one where you hit three forty one, twenty nine home runs. In my head, not having seen you, I picture a guy who was kind of the equivalent of the modern day kind of launch angle long swing, you know, talk about getting lift and that kind of thing. Is that the kind of hitter you were? Um, I definitely feel like, yes, I was ahead of my time um, in that respect because I grew up being, you know, I mean, what my strength was, a big ball guy. So like Dave Kingman and, and, and guys along those lines were, you know, Harmon Killebrew, uh, you know, I kind of emulated those type of, of, of guys. Um, I knew me getting walks wasn't going to do me any good. I mean, you know, it's the old, I just read it recently again about how the Hispanic kids will say, uh, you, you can't walk off the Island. So, you know, that was my personal thing too, that I wasn't going to prove anything by getting the first base. I mean, getting me to first base is one going to help me. And so, you know, it was always that, uh, that, that whole power thing and, and strikeouts to me are, they're situational, just like anything else in baseball. There's times that a strikeout is better than hitting a ground ball double play. Uh, you know, there's there's times that you know. It, so strikeout to me wasn't wasn't the end all. You know, it's an out. You know, there are times that you shouldn't do it, and 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 hopefully a lot of those times, especially in '81, I didn't do it because, you know, it's one of the things I have with with the current idea of hitting that they're also. They all think they're Ted Williams. You know, the the best way to hit is to be like Ted Williams, to have a great eye and be able to get your pitch and, and all. And it's true, but not everyone can do that. And so some people have to be more aggressive. Um, I, reading the book from um, Roberto Clemente, the way Roberto Clemente would get out of a, a batting slump is he would swing at everything. 
This way, he took a whole part of the elimination of, of the hitting thing out of out of play by not even worrying about just hit the pitch where it is. Don't don't worry about whether it's a ball or strike. So he just eliminated that whole little guess bit because he knows I'm about to swing, and so he just had to hit it where it was. And so that that type of thing was more where where I was. And Coach Johnson agreed with that. That you know that my thing was be aggressive. Don't sit there and try to read get a perfect pitch. I mean, I knew the pitch down and in was you know my power pitch uh, to, to really crush. But, you know, I, I hit balls on the outside corner. I hit balls on the inside corner, it, up, down. It, it didn't really matter. So I wasn't looking for, you know, the perfect pitch to hit. I was just looking to hit it and hit it hard. And a lot of times good things happened. Bruce, it's amazing. What you're talking about right now is very similar to what you're hearing in, in coaching clinics right now as far as in hitting clinics and looking back to 1979, when you start talking about these theories and the way that you're seeing the ball, and you start talking about during that time frame where, as you said, everybody was so fixated on Ted Williams, see the ball, hit the ball. Just looking back and seeing how Coach Ron Polk and then Mark Johnson just kind of allowed you to acclimate yourself to the college baseball game in that way. Do you think that's one of the reasons they were successful? They didn't have the cookie-cutter approach. They just kind of allowed guys to be themselves? Yes, I I, I agree with that. Coach Polk, you know, he's the the consummate uh, coach of teaching you fundamentals. I I learned more fundamentals uh, from Coach Polk than anywhere else I ever was. And and that was his thing. His his thing was he's going to teach you how to play the game and then let you play the game. Um, he used to say that the first six innings were ours, the last three were his. So there was very little, you know, today it just drives me absolutely bananas to look at these kids with armbands and every time they look at a coach and they have to look at their armband to see what's going on. It's like, don't you know how to play the freaking game? I, it just amazes me. I, I didn't look at Coach Johnson when it was, when it was an 0-2 count. What the hell is he going to tell me to do? You know, when I come up to the plate, nobody's on base. What what is he going to tell me to do? The coach doesn't matter, and 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 it is so micromanaged nowadays. From every freaking pitch coming from the dugout, if you want to speed up the game, that's what they need to eliminate. Is no, you're not allowed to send in anything. You know, you can't call pitches from the dugout. You can't do any of that stuff. Let the kids play the game. Let me teach them how to play it, and then let them play. Bruce, I got to ask you some about somebody else in 1981. I, I said one time that the only people uh, hurt worse by your year in my memory than our opponents was Mark Gillespie. You know, Mark Gillespie in in 1981 has a year because of your 29 home runs. You know, Mark Gillespie hits like 410, 20 home runs. What kind of player was Mark Gillespie? G man was such a. He was, as a matter of fact, he's he's the perfect type of hitter. I mean, he you know, obviously was a switch hitter. On top of being uh, having a great eye, I mean, he had something like the reason I had a great season in especially in RBIs is because he kept getting on base. I mean, he batted four ten and then he walked like sixty something times. Um, so you know, he he was really perfect for me uh, to lead off. I mean, I thought you were going to go with Tony Gage, the poor guy behind me who, you know, I kept cleaning up. He used to complain to me all the time how he used to stop knocking everyone in. You know, I just didn't give him opportunities. Uh, but, but no, G-Man was an unreal hitter. Uh, I mean, he, he, you know, he came in his junior year, uh, you know, from junior college, 
and he batted like 350 something 356 or something like that if i remember right so uh no he was he was always a solid hitter and son you know ended up being in the in the bigs for a little bit you know he played at wichita state so uh no g-man was was good now you say that but g-man was actually the mvp of the team in 1981 he beat me out on that you know he was all american he he got all american first team too so so he didn't get hurt by me but uh but but he had a great season too he he whether he's remembered as I am, yes, I that might be true. But again, I'm I'm an ego nut, so I can't tell you if if if, if he's remembered better or not. Talking to Bruce Castoria, former Bulldog, 1979 to 1982. I was in Omaha a couple years ago and ran into former Wichita State head coach Gene Stevenson. Gene Stevenson, and yeah. he says uh, he said, I remember 1981 playing Mississippi State. And they brought a shortstop in by the name of Steve DeUrkele and knocked us out in Clemson, South Carolina. What do you remember yep. about that tournament? We've talked to, Charlie and I have talked about this a couple of times. What do you remember about a guy like Steve DeUrkele and that 81 regional in Clemson, South Carolina? I remember Steve's, Steve's the shortstop, like he said. And uh, Steve had more carry on a ball from shortstop. You know, I was the first baseman, so he had more carry on a ball from, from shortstop than anyone. I, I mean, his ball was hard when it came to my glove. He, you know, he, he actually kind of ripped my glove one day. I mean, it's amazing how, how good of an arm Steve had. And so he was able to transfer that to the mound and, and did a heck of a job for us, you know, uh, you know, starting the days that he did and coming in for relief and everything. The the, the Wichita State team that year was was unreal. I mean. Uh, you know, Joe Carter, who obviously everyone knows about, you know, was their 30 hitter and his uh, Gene Stevens, brother, Phil uh, was, was the first baseman and he batted some ridiculous number, you know, 450 something and, and had, you know, know, he had a bunch of RBIs and hundred and something, you know, so he had, he was an unbelievable college hitter too. So, uh, so it was definitely the, the team to beat in that, in that, in that series. And, you know, that, that series was kind of like, I, I relate that to the series uh, that, that I had, had my, after my freshman year, I went to the college, the, the, the big little league world series in, uh, I played because I was still eligible to be an 18 year old. And, uh, and, and we won the thing. We, we were uh, national champions there from, from New York, from Long Island, the only Long Island team to ever do that. And, um, it was, it was just, it was, it was easy. It was, and that's kind of what it was. You, you just, you just went on the field. You knew you were going to do something. You knew you were going to win. It, it just, you know, so it was just like that, that even though they were to be, be concerned about, I mean, we were good. I mean, that year, you know, we could have, we could have, I'll say that about almost any team that went to the college world series. I don't think a Mississippi state team has ever gone to the college world series thinking we're not going to win this thing or weren't capable of winning it. Uh, you know, both 81 and 79, you know, we beat the team that ended up winning it in 79, Cal State Fulton, in the opening game. Um, 81, you know, those were two one-run losses. The the kid from, from uh, Arizona State ends up pitching a no-hitter through six or seven innings. I hit a foul home run. Uh, we lost 4-3 on that one or 6-5 the other one. So we could have easily won those, those series, uh, you know, so. You know, it was, it, I'm so now that made me so happy for these guys 
And, uh, and, I, and, I, and I agree with what Raphael said is that, you know, they deserve to be called the best of us because of what they did. Uh, you know, whether, whether 85 teams are the best or 81 or 79 or any of those teams, you know, Hey, they were the ones who ended up bringing home the, the, the big ring. So they're the ones who deserve it. Well, I'll tell you, one of the things about it though, is the thing about Mississippi state baseball, you feel like everybody kind of stands on the shoulders of the guys that came before them. And in my mind, that, that 79, you know, you go to the late 70s, early 80s, people talk so much about 85, but there's not an 85 without an 83. There's not an 83 without an 81. And um, you're one of those guys, when when I start thinking about my history as a Mississippi State baseball fan, Bruce Castori is right at the top. So um, I it's uh, really appreciate you uh, being w- willing to visit with us today. Oh, I really appreciate that. I mean, you know, going back to the 79 remember they had two SEC losses. And and this is kind of looking back, because like I said, I was platooning that year. So, I mean, I get to watch Copel and, and Mike Kelly and Johnny Mack and, and Kenny Kurtz and, and all those guys. And let's face it, talent-wise, they weren't. <laughs> you know, comparing to uh, the other teams, uh, weren't even close. I mean, eight home runs led the team. You know, I had six. Uh, Rick Dixon had six. So we were kind of a scrappy type of team, but, you know, we had good pitching, good solid pitching with Mundy and, and Kurtz and, and Perry Clyburn and a few others. And and we ended up with just two losses throughout the SEC. I mean, it's a, the, the record that that team put together was amazing for a team that you would say, well, talent-wise, they were, they were a little shy, uh, but that doesn't always matter when you're a team. When you're, and I'll tell you, just to go real quick on this, is that, one of the things to me about that team was that there was not a whole bunch of freshmen uh, hazing that went on. Uh, we had we had six freshmen that uh, six or seven freshmen, and and those guys all uh, were real big guys, and so Mike Kelly couldn't push us around. <laughs> Uh, so we just didn't pay attention to the seniors because we were actually bigger than almost all of them. And you had Susie, you had Winkler, you had me, you had Clipper. Uh, so, so little Mike Kelly and, and, and Johnny Mack and Coco weren't big enough to really shove us. Around. So, so there was none of that. And then we had no AD up on the sixth floor that year. And, and it made everybody kind of get together as a team. I mean, we hung out with the seniors as much as, as anyone. I mean, it wasn't, a bunch of clicks on the team, and that really helped, I think. Hey, Bruce, I've enjoyed this a lot. And, hey, like Charlie said, there's not an 83 without the 81 team. There's not a – you know, there's not the Clark Palmero without what you guys, you know, put together in 79 to 82. And so, hey, we appreciate you joining us. Great stuff. All right. Well, I thank you. Uh, One last one since you said that. And it's true, and I have it from Raphael himself. He said – the reason he came to Mississippi State was because of me. He said he came to watch a game and I did something or whatever, and the the crowd went nuts and and the way that the fans reacted and everything else. And that's when he decided he was coming to Mississippi State. So, from Ralph's mouth to me, whether he was just being nice, I don't know. But he actually said to me, "You're the reason I came to Mississippi State." So, <laughs> well, thank you from from all of the Mississippi <laughs> State fan base. Thank you. Thank you for not only what you did on the field, but thank you for what you did later on. I appreciate it. and I enjoyed this a lot, guys. Appreciate it. Like good to talk about old times. Bruce Castoria, former Bulldog grade. Charlie, tell you what, man, 
that guy was before his time. Oh, yeah, absolutely was. I, I, mean, I still remember so vividly. We've talked so many times about how people our age didn't grow up seeing the games on TV. If you couldn't talk your parents into driving you up here, you were sitting in your room listening on the radio. And I remember so many times just hearing about Castoria and the home runs, and, and it just seemed like every time he had the radio on, he was hitting another one. It was it was absolutely phenomenal, kind of a, a larger-than-life character in baseball at the time. Oh, yeah, known for those moonshot home runs. And so that was good to talk with Bruce Castoria. So Charlie and I will come back. We'll have a final word right here on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Now, welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Final segment, great conversations with Chris Stewart and Bruce Castoria. Charlie, uh, yeah, go back to that was a great conversation with Bruce right there. A guy that was kind of before his time 40 years ago. How has it been 40 years since Bruce Castoria last wore Mississippi State maroon and white? Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. I guess we're getting old too fast. Way too fast. By the way, Bart, if people are going to be in town for this weekend coming to the games, there's some other things going on, too. We talk all the time. We like just getting out, walking through the Cotton District, checking out some of the restaurants down there. But on campus this weekend, and by the way, you can always find this schedule at startville.org. They have the schedule of events coming up, Startville, Mississippi's college town. And one of the cool things they have this week, it's the 16th annual Charles H. Templeton Ragtime and Jazz Festival. And so it starts on Thursday, runs through the day on Friday, into Saturday. In fact, all the way into Saturday night. But they've got concerts, they've got seminars, they've got instruments that you can go see. It's uh, taking place out at the fourth floor, the Mitchell Memorial Library. There's a lot of places you can go see this, but check it out. This is You can go to Mississippi State's website, festival.library.msstate.edu. They've got the full schedule on there but a lot of big-time musicians coming in. And so another cool thing, if you like ragtime, you like jazz, you just like history, or you like music, it's a place you'd like to check out. Hey, we went to that a couple of years ago. It was pretty cool. Sims loved that thing. He was like it, He was like eight, so I guess it's been three years ago, the last time we went. And if you're in the library, you can go up to the Grant Museum, which is just fantastic, the Ulysses S. Grant Museum here on campus at Mississippi State. And, of course, after the games on Saturday, Sunday, walk downtown, go to restaurants downtown, the Cotton District. We'll talk about Two Brothers tomorrow on our Two Brothers Deep Dig and just so many great places and things to do when you're coming into town on the weekend. So stayed in Alabama this weekend. Make your plans, but go to startville.org to make those plans. Don't just show up and say, hey, let's go do something. Make a plan. That's what we do. We plan every 10 minutes. We are Charlie, are y'all the type of people in your house where you plan out every trip that you make? No. I mean, we're very detailed. No. In fact, one of the best trips we ever took, we planned not a thing. Really? We got in the car, and we just said we're driving to Texas. We stopped in Vicksburg, spent time there, went to some baseball games in Dallas, went to Baylor, drove down to Austin, went to San Antonio, and just kind of made our way home. Didn't plan a single day. Yeah, Jen gives us sheets out like we're going with a team, you know. We got a blue page for Friday, yellow page for Saturday. <laughs> Everything's broken down. She has, you know, she's built in for like ten minutes and at two o'clock in the afternoon for just uh, any kind of built-in overlapping time. Yeah, it's it's all planned out by the minute. Hey, good show today. 
enjoyed it. Great conversations with Chris Stewart and Bruce Castoria. You hate to go back to the point. You hate to say must wins. But this weekend, you got to have two. They're pretty daggum close. Have to have two. And the reason I say that is not because you want to avoid going two games below 500, which is what would happen if you win only one. But the schedule doesn't get easier. Uh, I mean, this is one of those weekends. If you look at the schedule, there's a couple of weekends where you know you've got to take advantage. This is one of those. And that's not to say Alabama's a bad baseball team. But if you want to rank them compared to the rest of your schedule, it's about as good as it's going to get. So you better take advantage. What's the term? Banking wins? We better bank some wins this weekend. Yeah, I'd love three, but have to have two. All right, enjoyed it as always. Once again, thanks to our great fine sponsors and Farm Bureau, Go With a Home Team, Tracks Plus, Country Pleasing Sausage, Heartland Catfish, and, of course, you can get that great Heartland Catfish at all the shrimp baskets throughout Alabama, then South Mississippi, Startville, Mississippi's College Town, and Bank First locations throughout Mississippi and Alabama. A better way to bank, go to bankfirstfs.com. For any questions you have about mortgage, commercial lending, anything you need, great customer service at our friends at Bank First. So for Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau.